Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. So just an explanation before I get started that um, the reason this is called the hearing test is because um, what is shared and said and, and seen as evidence of someone's life and testimony is the test. So pretty much what you hear is what you get. So that's where we're going with that, in case that doesn't come out anywhere else in, the, in this, and you go home and you say, well, that was okay, but why was it called that? Hearing tests, have many of you, if you've ever had a hearing test, raise your right hand if you heard that in your right ear. There you go, that's good. I can remember that, and my junior year in high school, in, in Philly, they used to give you, I don't know, at least a hearing test was every other year. So I'm gonna move this down a little bit more. Popping too much, but um, maybe I'm not. He's got it on here too tight. But um, uh, so every other year we had to do the hearing test, and I remember my junior year. I was in there and uh, and I was doing it, and whoever was administering the test, I assume it was a nurse, said to me, "I'm going to uh, refer you on," and so they were going to send me to Temple University Hospital. She said. Do you realize that you have never passed a hearing test ever? And I said, well, that's because I'm deaf in one ear and I can't hear any other. And she didn't think that was funny. I don't get it. But um, anyhow, that was uh, the story. And since then, um, things have gotten better. I hear real well now. I probably hear better now than I ever did back then. So. That's good. I think old age, I, I kind of do old, old age the opposite of how a lot of people do. So um, so in that one case, that's true. How about vision test? I know you've done that. Um, I was 48 years old when I had one of the more modern vision tests and I was having trouble. I couldn't see, I couldn't read like I used to be able to. And that was really bothersome to me. And um, I went and did all this stuff, and I didn't know they were gonna puff my eyes and do stuff that made it so I couldn't see. And it was in Worcester, and I drove home right after that. I have no idea where I, you know, what field that was I was driving through. But, um, but um, I, I was told then, uh, the doctor made such a big thing over how wonderful my eyesight was. And, and by the way, that was really frustrating to me because I had, at one time, the world's greatest eye vision of anybody in the world. I really did. And all of a sudden, I couldn't read things up close. And so that was really a problem. And so um, the doctor's making a big fuss over how wonderful my vision is. And I said, well, why can't I read? And he's like, oh, that's just a stigmatism, no big deal. Buy some over-the-counter reading glasses. Really? I came to an eye doctor first time in my life, basically, and that's all he can tell me? So um, 18 years later, I, I graduated. Ed likes to tell people that I now have big boy glasses. <laughs> so, uh, so now I have these things that are affixed. Uh, there's a 
they put some screws and wires in through the cranium to keep this on me all the time. And probably that's what they needed to do. So uh, it's great though, because my problem I was having the last several months was I would go into a store and down the aisle, someone would be walking toward me, hi, Pastor Bud, and I'd be like, who is that? And, and until they got up closer, and it's like, oh, I haven't seen you in 20 years or whatever, but uh, it was really frustrating because I really believed that I was probably going right by people and didn't know it, and so that's always a fear of mine. But now, I can see really, really great. So like, Dave Brown there, Ooh, I didn't know you could make that face, Dave, but yeah, he's got 17 fingers up. That's amazing. So, uh, so yeah, I can see much, much better now. So uh, I'm happy. Everybody's happy, I think. But um, so, but tests are important, and uh, hearing tests, eye tests, other kinds of tests uh, are really important, and spiritually, uh, those are even way, way more important. We're starting today, 1 John chapter 4, and uh, this is an interesting chapter. Really, we're going to divide it into two, uh, we are. So today you're locked out because this is the shorter portion, verses 1 through 6, which is really talking about truth in doctrine. So we want to know what teachings, what you believe, how you think, that, that kind of stuff. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter, verses 7 to 21, and we'll look at love in action. Uh, and so they will go together, and here's why I think they go together. Uh, true doctrine is the foundation of life with God. And I'm going to add this, and then hopefully you understand. But then Christian love is the natural expression of life with God. Doctrine is what the teachings, that's what everything is based on. That's what you think, that's what you believe, that's what you know to be true. That's how you interact with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit by the way of what you know. Um, it does impact you and, and causes your relationship to go in the right direction. Then as an outgrowth of that comes your Christian love. That is just a natural, normal expression of life with God. So we're going to look at that aspect next week. A while back I used to quote, and I really like it, um, from John MacArthur, who said somebody came to him and, and said that doctrine divides. And I've heard that before, that people think, oh, you start talking about doctrines and teachings, and then that divides the Christian body into fragments. But his, his thing was, that's true, doctrine does divide, it divides truth from error. And, and that's true too. Um, what we try to do is try to be as pure and honest with scripture as we can be. Uh, I remember being told once, and it must have been either college or seminary, that uh, every time we open our Bible, we should put on the shelf everything we believe and allow God to, to change it based on what his word says. Uh, every time I read a scripture, um, I should be open to hearing what God says and open to changing. Because I probably, like you and, and the other seven million people in the world, we all have presuppositions that we bring to everything we approach. And so 
there may be something that I've always thought was always true and always right, and maybe it's not. And just because mama said it was, doesn't mean it is. And so I need to look at the scriptures and say, God, you tell me what is right and what is wrong. So doctrine is really important. Yet, hopefully through the whole chapter, we'll get the idea that truth and love are absolutely connected. They are interrelated with each other in, in the person of a follower of Jesus. Uh, I just threw out a bunch of verses. You don't have this anywhere, but, uh, and I'm not putting it on the screen. But here's a couple of verses. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke 6, 45. Jesus is saying that the good man brings good things. Okay, that would be the love aspect out of the good stored up in his heart. That would be the doctrine. The good guy does good things because he has good knowledge, good information, good teaching, good stuff inside of him, and it comes out good. Jesus went on to say, and the evil man brings evil things out because of the evil stored in his heart. So what goes in is what comes out, input, output. And then he said, for out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. What's inside of you is what's going to come out. I read one of those silly little Facebook things the other day where somebody said, I can detect a judgmental person the first time I see them. <laughs> That's being judgmental, by the way. Um, yeah, what, you know, we talk about first impressions, and a lot of that stuff is mildly true. It shouldn't have to be all the time, but, you know, what comes out of a person is what people realize and think of them. So you've had it where you met somebody and it was a bad moment for them. And, and they said or did something that was really not good. And that taints how you look at them for a long time. Jesus also talked in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, <clears throat> about unclean things. And he said, it's not what goes in, but it's what comes out. That is the proof of where your heart is and who you are and what you are like. And he's correct, of course. In James chapter 3, verse 10, there's a warning there for people, followers of Christ, that out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And James adds, my brothers, this should not be. This should not be. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. Now, I have to admit that over the years, I have been with some Christians and some that I think are very sincere and I've heard cursing come out of their mouths. And I don't mean just things that I think is bad and nobody else thinks is bad. There's a lot of that stuff. What I grew up as being profane now is common language on television and movies and on radio and all that stuff. Um, I tell my soccer team, there's one, one practice every year where we go over some uh, principles and I remind them that there's 10,000 words in the English language. You should learn a few of them and use those, not the ones that you're accustomed to hearing and using. Um, but James says, my brothers, this should not be. This should not be. There are certain things that you and I should never approach. We should never do, we should never say. 
Uh, and that takes a little bit of discipline, I understand. And everybody fails, I understand that too. Uh, but there's consequences with that. One time I had a kid on my soccer team who was uh, a very godly kid, and he was being frustrated by somebody in practice. This was 100 years ago. And uh, he dropped a bomb in the middle of practice that everybody on our field could hear, and everybody on the practice football field next to us at that time could hear. I couldn't ignore it. And um, it was a kid from our church. And so I took him aside and I reminded him that he was a follower of Christ and that he just embarrassed the Lord and really tainted his own personal testimony. I didn't know what to do to the kid. So I told him, it was practice, I said, here's what we're gonna do. I said, you're gonna run, you're gonna run laps. I'm not gonna tell you how many laps, you're gonna run until you think you have satisfied the punishment for this thing. He ran and ran and ran. I would have stopped him long ago. Actually, he is still running, and this has been like 15 years. <laughs> if you go by the field, tell him he's off the hook. It's okay now, but it's not okay. Because you can't take back that kind of stuff. You just can't do that. And, um, you know, it, I hope nobody else is even, on the team even remembers it, I hope. But it was a, it was a very disappointing day. The verse that's in your bulletin, it was on the screen. It's going to be on the screen later on from 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says this, Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't say bad things about Jesus or use his name wrongly. And no one can also say Jesus is Lord except through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that demonstrates to everybody else that Christ and God is a part of you. What you see and what you hear is what you are and what we get. So John's presenting another test. And this is only a test. If it were an actual alert, oh wait a minute, it actually is an alert. It's an alert to say you better be alert to what is important and what is spiritual. You need to guard your heart and your mind. And he's going to remind us to beware of others who may claim things, but they're not true. They're strange, but good advice. This is really profound. Don't believe everything you hear. Now, that changed in social media because... Um, Abraham Lincoln said you can believe everything on the internet so um, <clears throat> so yeah you can almost do that this last Tuesday by the way was I hope you celebrated it was the 30th anniversary of Google so uh, I don't know what you did for that but uh, that, that was free <laughs> spiritually and biblically test everything out what's the motivation behind it is it consistent with what the Bible says? Remember, these issues of, that we're going to be discussing this test is very, very important to you in your life. And it's even greater than that. It's important to you and eternal life. It really, really is significant. There's one easy question 
You'll remember it because I'm giving it to you in the King James Version. It's, what think ye of Christ? Let me read to you those six verses in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So there's one easy question that he says is the test, and that is, what do you do, what do you think of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah? There are false prophets that he's telling us about. Um, false prophets to John are the same thing as false teachers. Uh, they're inspired by a false spirit, which he designated as the spirit of the Antichrist. And he tells us, that we are to test the spirits, test or try them, check them out. And that's written in a sense of doing it continually. Always be looking at it and evaluating, is this real, is it not real, is it from God, is it not? You need to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. The Bereans were found that when Paul came and spoke to them and taught them, they looked at that, they listened to what he said, and they were like, we're gonna check this out. We're going to go and look at the Old Testament and determine whether what you say is true and, and possible. That's what we need to be. You don't just blank check, assume everything is correct, it comes down. Checking out the scriptures assumes that you know, at least to some measure, the scriptures. You need to know the scriptures in order to know what is right and what is wrong in this world. <clears throat> So you can question facts and information. If you find in doing so that maybe what you were pushing is maybe incorrect and it's wrong, then own up to it. You know, be good about that. If you find out that what you're right and the other person is wrong, scripturally, then humbly, lovingly, seek to help them. If it's a gray area and, and it's one that God doesn't care about and, um, and you guys just have a difference of opinion, then be gracious about it. But John here is talking about a much bigger problem. It's not a misquote that somebody does. It's not the wrong Bible reference that somebody gives accidentally. He's not looking at a map of Israel and has a riverbed in the wrong region. This is really significant stuff that he's dealing with in verses two and three. John Dilling recently loaned me one of his favorite theologians commentary on 1 John, a person named Guy King. He's a distant cousin to Sky King, uh, and he wrote this in 1954. 
He said, don't be so, oh, I like this, because back in that day, people used to go door to door all the time with religious things. Some of them was good, solid Christians. Some of them were uh, cults. But Guy King said, don't be so gullible to every front door exponent of false teaching. I love that. Front door exponent. These guys are coming with spiritual gobbledygook. Don't be vulnerable to them, vulnerable. Here's how you know the Spirit of God, and that's where I would have thrown in what big key of Christ? What do you think about Jesus Christ? Who is he? Is he God or is he not God? That's how you test him. If you do that and one of the cult members comes to the door, you can have fascinating discussions for a long time, and I, I won't go, I have some good stories on that, ask me later. Try this the next time they come to your doorstep, you know, ask them about Christ. The criterion to be used always concerns the person of Jesus Christ. He is utmost. And in verses 2 and verse 3, it's a test. And um, what do you think about Jesus? Did Jesus come in the flesh? Is he God incarnate, come to die for the sins of the people? friend of mine, Bruce Triplehorn, is a missionary. He's presently in the Chad Republic in Africa, and he's training pastors. And he was, this last week, he was, he was with a group of pastors. He's supposed to be with them all week. And he showed up, I think it was Tuesday night, started the class Wednesday morning, and at lunchtime, and I don't know the circumstance, he didn't elaborate, um, he was informed that the class was only going to be able to last another hour or two, and then everybody was going to disband. And he thought he was doing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on the life of Christ. So he said, obviously, we didn't get very far in the life of Christ. And he said, so I quick kind of thought, what is the most important? And he said, the incarnation of Christ is what I majored on. Um, if Bruce thought that, I think it's true. John apparently thought that as well. And... Um, was Jesus fully human and yet fully divine? Do you believe that the human Jesus and the divine Christ are one and the same person, God incarnate? I wrote a, a sentence. <clears throat> My language arts friends are going to tell me that's a, a run-on sentence. But I wrote a sentence as to what basically we should believe about Jesus. And are you able to say this yourself? Here it is. Is Jesus God's son, creator and ruler of the universe, who burst into humanity through the virgin conception, housed in Mary, lived a life of about 33 years in Israel, in flesh and blood, providing wonderful teachings and miracles and examples of holiness that culminated it all by voluntarily laying down his life by dying through crucifixion, spending three days in a borrowed tomb, but victoriously raising from the dead on Sunday morning, and then spending 40 days showing himself to hundreds, yea, even thousands of eyewitnesses before ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God his Father. And I could go on, but that's one sentence. Is that a summary of what you know and believe about Jesus? It should be. It should be. That's part of the test. If you can say that sentence, or I don't expect you to say that. I don't think I could come up with that again. But if you can say something like that, then you have the Spirit of God in you. 
Any person who's from God will gladly confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's really, really important to us. Here's something that um, Donald Burdick said as to why it's important. In order to die in our place, it was necessary that he become a man. That was his plan. That's how God drew it up. It was very critical, important that God, that Christ became a man. And in order for his death to have infinite value, he had to be God. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, a good person may die for another. <clears throat> Shootings around the world or whatever. Um, somebody could jump in front of somebody else and take a bullet and save their life. But mere humans can only die once and can only help that one person, or maybe two at most in some cases, or a couple probably. But it takes God to die and pay for the sins of every single human being that ever lived. It was his plan, his way of doing it, uh, and he satisfied it. So it is critical that we believe that Jesus came in the flesh, that he lived uh, as we understand according to scriptures, and that he died for our sins and rose again from the dead. If you don't believe that, uh, then the converse is also true. Verse 3 speaks about, if you cannot say those things, then you are not from God. In fact, your motivation, whether you know it or not, is from a spirit that John identifies as Antichrist. Now that's not to be referring to the Antichrist that you heard about in the book of Revelation, the one who comes in the tribulation period. This just means the spirit of those who are opposed to Christ. Uh, most likely some demonic type um, aspect to it. When John was writing it, there was a group of people you know about it by now, the Gnostics, who had rejected that Christ came in the flesh. They didn't believe that. They didn't see how that was possible. They didn't accept it. They thought that um, that Christ was the, the divinity side and Jesus was the man. And then Jesus was born under normal circumstances, grew up, and at his baptism, about age 30, that this spirit came upon him that made him at least a divine person for a couple years. And then at his crucifixion, when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, that that spirit of Christ left him, and then the human being Jesus died on the cross. Back then, even in, in around two, 300, there were some councils, they declared that as heresy. We declare that as heresy today. That's not true. That doesn't help us spiritually in any way. That It's not true. It's not what the scriptures teach. It's not what we know about Christ. Jesus was God who came in the flesh and lived here among us. That teaching is frightening for a number of reasons. And one is because several who feel comfortable fall into that trap and fail the test. They can say, well, I've, I've done this and that. I've gone there. Remember, Jesus tells us in, in Matthew that um, on that day, when people stand in his presence, 
Some are going to say, but I taught and I cast out and I healed and I did this and that in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never do you. That's a scary thought. Personally, only you know what camp you are in. I, I'm not the guy who determines who gets in and who gets out of heaven. But it's even scary for those who get it right um, because getting it right is an act of God. It's not an act. We don't do anything with that. Jesus did it for us, and the Spirit of God brings us into him. And someone might say, yeah, I got it right. I believe in Jesus. I know that he came in the flesh. I believe he is God. He died for my sins. I, I know all that stuff. But what if I ever get discouraged and fail? Or what if I stray from the truth? Or what if I get that disease where I don't even remember anything? That I don't even remember that I was a Christian. What if, what if something like that happens? I would just say God has you covered. In verse 4, it tells us that as great as the trials are around us, the one who is within us is far greater than all the power of evil in this world or any other world there is. God is in us in the Spirit when we know Christ is our Savior. The scriptures talk about two teams or two families, and John, you probably notice here, is using very emphatic pronouns. And so he's saying, in essence, I'm convinced who's in and who's out. I know who these people are. And he talks about the world. And that refers to the world system. It's that uh, mindset that's opposed to God and everything in his way. It's Satan's domain. The people of the world parent each other. They love to blend in. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted. And their message finds a source in the world. It just comes from themselves. They spring up uh, secular and anti-Christian um, observations. To them, it's cool. To them, they listen to each other. To them, they impress each other. To us, it's a little bit shallow. There's no faith. There's no substance. There's no commitment to Christ. Here is an interesting quote. I've seen it before, but the devil can quote scriptures to his own purpose. Our good friend Billy Shakespeare said that. And at last notice, I don't know that he's a theologian. I don't think so. Um, I don't even know if he's a follower of Christ, but at least he got this one right. Because Satan can do that. He can use scripture. He tried to do it with Jesus, didn't he? He quoted scripture, he just left out key things, and, uh, and Jesus corrected him a little bit. And he can do that to you and I. He can twist and change things to really make us um, get confused. But God has a family too, and we are from God, and we know God, and we listen to him. We listen to his word, we hear him when we pray, and I don't mean audibly, but he speaks to our spirits. And, and since he's our source, we know that our message that we have comes from God. Again, we're nothing special, nothing unique or precious about us. It was God who chose us. It's God who holds on to us. And, and he's the one who gets the glory. Here's the verse we put up for you on the screen earlier um, and in your bulletin. 
Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is an act of God in your life, in your heart, that brings you into the family of God. All you do is open yourself up. All you do is believe. All you do is yield yourself to him. You submit yourself to him. God does it all. He paid the price. He does the calling. He convicts you. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and draws you in to himself. So John's been writing that. And there's, in his writing, it kind of spirals around. There's different tests in here to help us understand whether we are followers of Christ or not. Here he's telling us in, in the first six verses about the test of the content of their message. Do they confess that Jesus is God's Son come in the flesh? Next week we're going to look at uh, the test of the nature of uh, who their lives and, and their followers. Who do they listen to? What do they listen to? How do they act? How do they live it out? By the way, the a wrong test to use regarding rightness with God or wrongness with God is a test of popularity. Just because something is big, it can also be false. There's lots of those things around. There's a lot of things that you know that are big and they are false. And yet there's a lot of wonderful things that are big. There's a lot of ministries that are gigantic and they are phenomenal. There's some I even hesitate to call them ministries, but there's some religious gatherings that are quite huge that, that fail the test of who Christ is. So don't base it on that. And by the way, some people would say small means there's something wrong. And that's not true either. Small can be excellent. I remember when I, in my previous ministry, it was a very small church. When I went there, there were 22 people, and it, it grew. But I remember a, uh, one of our denominational leaders came in and he said to me, you have an advantage. Our, our competitor there was a church, small church called the Chapel. And uh, I went door to door everywhere and everybody told me they went to the chapel and I'd say something about the pastor. They couldn't name him. They couldn't name the pastor back then, it was Dave Burnham. But, um, but they all went to the chapel. They all were very faithful. They weren't gonna come to our church, but um, but this denominational leader said to me, he said, you know, you have a real advantage in a small church because you can go to a family and sell them on the fact that, by the way, at the chapel, the guy over all their youth ministries at that time was Kevin Huggins. Kevin Huggins was a classmate of ours in, in college, doing really well. He handed up everything, but they had gigantic ministries, so he had uh, pastor over college, pastor over high school, pastor over Jew. And basically, here's what I could do. I could say to a family like David Pat Sharn and say, you can go to the, uh, to the chapel and your kids will have, they'll have great snow retreats. They're gonna have wonderful, uh, you know, sport events to participate in, all kinds of great things. And, and they may even meet my friend Kevin Huggins sometime. They may get to say hello to him. He won't know them, but, but you know, they'll meet him. He can come to our church. And this was in Cobb Falls, and I said, and, and I can assure you that your kids and I will go out for ice cream, 
that they'll learn what it means to minister for Christ. They'll get a heart for missions and for evangelism. By the way, David Pat immediately joined our church with that, so did several others. Uh, you know, just because it's big doesn't mean it's great. Look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They spent lots of money and now they're injured. So who knows? Uh, it doesn't always work that way. The test is of spirituality. That's the test. And God is the aim. God is the message. God is the power and God is the joy. So this is how we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of falseness. What do you do with Jesus Christ? How are you doing on the test? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for being so clear to us in the word, uh, letting us know that we have a Savior, and we have a Lord in Christ who is faithful to us, who has paid the price for us, and who has called us and loved us and brought us to himself. And Lord, what you ask from us is just to be faithful to you, to uh, to follow you, to obey you, to learn and grow in a relationship with you, a love relationship. Thank you so much for the gift of eternal life through Christ, the, uh, the God who came to this earth to die for our sins and then to raise again from the dead. How we praise you for him and for life that we can have, eternal life, through him and through belief in him. Thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc.org at AOL.com.